0: Hello and welcome to the Modern Consultant. I'm your host, Mark Aarons, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Tori Gray. Tori is the co founder of the Gray Dot Company, where she helps companies, industries, and then also experts connect the dots between all of these disparate data points so that they can then make better insights and make better decisions with data instead of guesswork. And on today's episode, we talk about it all. We talk about the past of search. We talk about the current. We talk about the future. How are things changing with AI? How do you use search right now to be able to do product development, offer development, service development to inform? with data decisions? How do you then use it to also find out what the total addressable market is for any business or line of business as well? And how do you use it to then inform messaging so that you can improve sales conversion as well as lead conversion rates at any point inside of your funnel? We have a lot. We get very nerdy with this and I hope you enjoy listening to it and watching it as much as we enjoyed having this conversation. With that, I'll see you on the other side. Corey, I just want to say welcome to the show. I have been thoroughly looking forward to this and people will have heard the introduction. So I just kinda of wanna like dive right into it. Um you had this fascinating topic that um you that we were emailing back and forth about and mm-hmm. it was about using search to and with tons of data points to be able to size the total addressable market which is super relevant for people who listen to the modern consultant active clients because typically after we work together they're like all right great i validated this product or service Mm -hmm. idea i sold it but now how do i take it to thousands tens of thousands millions Mm -hmm. where do i go from here so could you walk us through that
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm super passionate about this topic. I think it's super fun. And one like quick story to tell would be, I think people forget um, how much information they submit to Google, right? And and not just to Google, but also to TikTok, to Amazon, to Etsy, to all these places where they're looking for things that they might want to buy, they might want information on, they might want to participate in, all these things. So, you know, if you think about how, I want to tell a story about the Obama campaign, right? How data-driven were they? Where did they get their information? They were known for being data-driven and getting the right data at the right time. So this is a campaign that used this data. They Understood where people were looking for things because you can tell things like in Google where people are looking for and where they're having this problem versus this problem um, because they're looking for it. And you can tell where they're looking for it because you can get this data sometimes down to the zip code level. Um, So this is something that almost has been lost to time a little bit or, you know, maybe due to the the Cambridge Analytica scandal, um, you know, turn people off, I think, for for really legitimate reasons but I think that there's a big gap here between taking people's data they've submitted and using it maliciously against them in a first-party sense as well like on Facebook where you're targeting specific people about their specific things Um, but I think that there is a way forward where we can use this data which we're largely getting in an ethical way because it is obfuscated right? Like, you can put your embarrassing questions into Google or into TikTok because you know that data is obfuscated and is not inherently trackable back to you specifically as a person. But we can still count how many people have those issues in common, right? So we've worked with providers who are want to know about medical issues that they want to focus on for their app, for college students, for example. So how do we know which... Um, you know, there's medical data available to us, and we're going to dig into that too. But as a data source, what symptoms are people experiencing? Where are they looking for relief? What's the sentiment around those things? Like this data is out there. And and I'm hoping through this and through this conversation with you, we can help really tell a story about how how we can use this data. And to go back to your point about, um, you know, once you have validated that in the market, I, I would also say, I think this is about validation. Because what if your validation isn't, I interviewed 10 people, and I know that they like it because they're in the right field. What if you could be looking at scale at what lots of people are looking for and taking action on? Um, And I think the scale of that data can really help you feel more confident in your decisions, maybe help you more confidently pitch to an EC and close that round um, t- because you know people are, are having this particular problem and are actively seeking solutions that you can provide uniquely. You can get competitive data about where people are not having their needs met, you know, especially if it's a big company um, and people are actively complaining online. You can mine that data and use that to inform your product roadmap and what you're, what you're wanting to build and for who and to really understand and make sure you're, you're resolving their problems.
0: That's excellent. So what I'm hearing is that it is safe, can be done in an ethical way, and uh, we can, the process exists. Uh, it can be done and it can be done at scale. And to uh, frame this for people who've been maybe longer time listeners, probably even before I've done the podcast, there is a framework that we talk about internally whenever we working with clients called the ideas framework. It stands for, the I stands for ideate. Mm. You get clear on the idea that you have, then discovery. You're trying to discover what your audience is actually saying about it. Then experiment. You want to find out what a few people actually do because what people say and what they do is not always the same. Then you accelerate. Find out what more people are doing. Then finally scale. Mm -hmm. Find out what a lot of people are actually doing. And that's where I'm hearing this fits into that piece of the puzzle. If you had to walk someone through, just to... Take it more from the abstract into the concrete. Let's just say for argument's sake, profile of somebody, maybe they had an email list of 50,000 people, maybe, you know, they have like a 1%, you know, conversion rate on, you know, a $1,000 product. And so they had people go through their product, people have bought it, so on and so forth. And they're like, all right, great. Well, you know, if, if I had like, you know, 1% of people go through this thing, how do I then use that information to then reverse engineer finding more of those people via search in about marketing?
1: Yeah. So I, I'd actually pull this a little bit earlier in the process. Um, I think it's a lot about finding out what people are looking for and then what action do they take, right? Because I can look at um, inquiry or interest or search data. So I wouldn't limit search data to just Google because people are searching on TikTok and people are searching on Amazon. And those are all data sources you can get your hands on to see what are people looking for, how frequently for what, and you can see, okay, well, this is my product feature. How often are people looking for this? How often are they looking for this? And you can get ideas. And there's a lot of tool sets out there to help you brainstorm different angles. So you can see different use cases. So you can combine your data, your own internal you know, survey data and your user customer service reports and how they're using this to get ideas and then to you know have a feedback loop um, with these tools that will tell you the related ideas. Well, this problem's a little bit like this problem. Maybe I can solve this problem too. And maybe I have a new way to talk about my product and a new audience that uses it in this way. Um, and we can also use behavioral data. So how many people are watching these videos on YouTube? How are they engaging with it, liking it, commenting? What is the sentiment of that? And the same data on TikTok and the same data on Reddit. Mm-hmm. These these are all things you can use, APIs and, and crawling to pull, to get this these data points at scale and then to do real data analysis on them in order to define those questions. Um, so it's less about um, these specific users and how are they acting and how do I get more of them in that lookalike audience Um, And that's partly because of the obfuscated nature of the data, right? And that's part of what keeps it ethical and keeps us out of those creepy Cambridge Analytica kind of conversations because I'm looking at what do people look for? That doesn't mean we can't make inferences about how they use that data. So your product might be, you know, might be called more than one thing. A lot of these, you know, big SaaS platforms, for example, you can be this modern infrastructure platform or you can be, you know, whatever their other positioning is ar- around this. It has a slightly different name, but essentially you're you're very much competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see how often people are looking for those things um, and you can use their data um, that you can find publicly um, to kind of reverse engineer what they're doing and where they're getting their customers from. So it's great for comp data
0: as well. Oh. This is really cool. So what else I'm hearing inside of this is that if we were to you know, just pull apart the ideas framework, we could actually slot in using search, and not just search, uh, but different platforms as well to find data points for us to be able to inform product development earlier on in the process and not just also increasing the size of the audience as well. And so product and service development, that mm-hmm. also is another opportunity with being able to you know, congregate and analyze all of these data points. The other thing that it made me think about is Within another framework that we have, we talk about three areas of the business that we're typically interested in helping people with audience, offer, sales. Sales is a little bit of a misnomer because it also includes marketing. That's a whole other longer (laughs) conversation. Uh, But uh, what I'm hearing is that we can use these data points to, again, inform the, uh, the audience that we're thinking about serving and Mm -hmm. then also, you know, growing that audience. And so we're, we're segmenting down to find more of the right people, but then also knowing who they are also allows us to be able to then, you know, find more of them. And so then also scaling the audience. Then on the offer side of things, we can also then of course, just develop the right offer as well, and -hmm. then also find out the language that they're using to describe not just the offer the container, the format Mm -hmm. of it, but also then different features. That they might specifically be looking for as well which can then inform new product development also improving existing offers and then finally with the sales component what i'm also hearing is that we can use these data points to be able to inform the messaging Mm -hmm. positioning that we're going to be using to be able to make sure that we have the right language to be able to then reach and talk to the right people
1: if you understand their problems you can emphasize those you can speak to how your product solves them you can understand their major objections uh, you can speak to the objections of the competitors, and you can use that as point of differentiation. So yes, the answer is yes, you nailed it.
0: Nice. Okay. So this then sets up to return a little bit to the, all right, how do we actually, you actually started to answer this and want to dig into it because it. you mentioned using APIs, but like for some people that are listening, they may be familiar with tools like Spark Toro for instance uh, for doing some audience research. Oh, yep. uh, how does someone begin to get started on this and then at what point do we then start to you know maybe need the help of a developer or someone who's more technically inclined to be able to create some kind of API call to be able to you know find all of this information out.
1: Yep. Um so I think it really starts with understanding what's available. Um, and, and just you know, respecting the data set. So we can get things directly from Google, either from your ads, if you're paying for that data. Um, They have a a freely available tool if you are advertising the Google Keyword Planner. You can get it directly from your website via Search Console, uh, Google Search Console, or Bing Webmaster Tools, um, another search engine you can get from there. There's also third-party tools. You can use Hrefs. you can use SEMrush. They're going to have their own third-party proprietary way to make assumptions about what they think people are looking for. Um, And the ways that they measure that. So you have a variety of different data sources for that. We can also have separate tool sets around what are people looking for on Amazon, and how frequently, what are people looking for on Etsy, and how frequently. Um, If you want to be able to pull more of the, um, a bit of that more behavioral data, where, where are people asking questions? Are they asking questions about this problem on Quora? Or are they engaging in conversations about this on Reddit? So you might need a crawling tool or have expertise around how do we get that data or those tool sets might have APIs. So the YouTube API is our best friend because we can get all this information about all these different videos. So, yes, you might need to work with a developer if you're not already one um, to pull those insights together. Um, And then I want you to treat it with the respect that any data, any data deserves. Right, So I think some people think, oh, okay, then I can find out how often people look for this versus this and just compare one to one. And sometimes it's as simple as that, but a lot of times this is data and it's a lot of different data points. And are you a data analyst and do you feel comfortable managing that data? So, and are you going to look at one thing and compare it to this other perhaps arbitrary thing, or are you comparing apples to apples? Are you looking at larger data sets and pulling them together? in a way that means you're actually having, say, statistically significant results. So like, you might need data expertise, you might need development expertise, it depends on where you're starting and what your core skill set is. But what makes this data a little bit unique is you're also going to need to understand its advantages and its limitations and its use cases. So just like any other data source. So are you doing surveys, you have to know how to ask the right survey questions, you got to know how to get in front of the right audience. You gotta know its limitations in terms of like who's gonna fill out that survey—people that are really mad and people that are really happy—and you're <laughs> gonna need to do your analysis and and in a way that means you know you're not talking to the middle, um, and that means you're gonna have some extremities. So how do you handle the data to account for that? So with this data. Um, you know, if we're talking Google search data, for example, that's historical data, typically. So we're talking about a last trailing 12 months, and it's a rolling monthly average, is typically anytime you're going to see what how many times people are looking for X thing per month. And then you might look at a group of keywords. Um, so all the things that they mean when they search for this. So if you're looking for podcasting services what else what how, what else do they call that cuz they call that more than one thing right so you're not just looking at one thing and one data point you're wanting to look at the ecosystem of those keywords and how they add up together but it might be that historical data which might change dramatically overnight so the classic example here is covid where search behavior changed because search behavior is user behavior it's what's happening in the world Right. If someone looks for Donald Trump in Google today and looks for it tomorrow, they might be looking for different things because they might be looking for the story for today and the story for tomorrow. So what they expect to find can vary over time. Um, You can look to the so there are other tools. If you want to look for more like up to the date information, you can be looking at trends in uh, uh, trends.pinterest.com is a great tool or trends.google.com. You can also pull trend data from TikTok. So if you're, if you want more historical data, you need to use the right tool sets there. And if you want to use more of like trend data to understand what might be happening next, um, then you need, so you need to dig into the data sources and really understand, am I pulling the right data for the right audience? Because some of it's also audience finding. So who you find on TikTok is going to be different than who you find on YouTube. So which... Do you want to look at both data sources? Cause some projects are juicy and you want to, but sometimes your audience profile is more inclined to be on Instagram or Reddit or whatever the platform is. So where do you think your user is? Go pull that data, understand those limitations, and then, you know, get creative. Honestly, dream big because there's to your point, like it can fit at each state of the cycle. So how do you what 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 are your burning questions? Start small and then go big.
0: How do you really? Approach. Love that. That is excellent. There are a number of threats within just what you shared that I wanted to dive deep on that are just juicy. The first one is with YouTube and the API and being able to pull mm-hmm. uh, search data from YouTube. Someone that's listening in, they might have heard a statement like, "You know, the second biggest search engine in the world is actually YouTube." Is mm-hmm. that true? Validate for us. What What yeah. have you seen?
1: Yes. Uh, Honestly, it's uh, interesting because YouTube has seen a huge resurgence, I'd say, in the past two years. So, you know, it used to be maybe, I'd say, seven, eight years ago, it felt like YouTube was a big thing and brands were starting to be on YouTube and they were doing more. And then it kind of just went quiet for a while. And it's not as if people weren't doing things. You know, we're still seeing these gamers, for example, coming on and doing these live streams and, and, um, you know, maybe some Twitch competition or. Um, there, there's just all these really interesting things happening, but it might not be in the big picture news and it might not be on the radar of business and marketing executives, but there's been a shift. I think that's fundamentally happened for YouTube in the last year or two. That's meant that we're hearing from a lot more businesses that want to see what's happening on YouTube. Um, we think part of it actually has to do with TikTok and, you know, certain influencers or like, um, what is it, Mr. Beast, like the very sort of more low budget production way of creating videos that have meant that you as a brand don't need this $10,000 video production version to produce any YouTube video. You can have a person sitting in a room talking with a good camera and a good microphone. And that's kind of lowered the bar in terms of what is required and in terms of like what users like and engage with and meant that we can do more, which means people are doing more, which means brands want
0: to be there too. Absolutely. And to add to that, I would say, and this is, you have access to more data than I do, but uh, just a bit of observational uh, data on my end is there seems to be a lot more video podcasters That are building large followings on YouTube, some amassing a million subscribers, two Mm -hmm. million, four million, to the point of rivaling the viewership of traditional media uh, and then bringing in a lot of revenue, like even news channels that grew out of YouTube as well. And so it seems like it's almost become this uh, just alternative uh, media. Uh, channel uh, that I would also imagine if people are using it for search heavily would also provide a lot of data points for us to be able to then just understand more of what's yep. going on with our users. Yeah. Question with YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do any work around creating content strategy Yeah. Uh, for YouTube? Could you walk us through that? How does that work?
1: Um, So I can walk you through a a project that we did for um, a streaming provider that I cannot name, unfortunately. Um, They really wanted to understand the, frankly, it was kind of a a state of the industry for a specific audience segment that they wanted to better be targeting on YouTube. Um, So we're using um, the API and crawl data to crawl, you know, I think it was in excess of 500,000 different data points, so different videos. What are all the competitors that we wanna look at? What are all the different videos? What are they, what's the subject matter of those videos? What what topics are they covering within those videos? How are users engaging with those? Which ones are most popular and liked and shared and watched and rewatched? So we were using that information to really understand what's competitive okay, so we know that these competitors are really going big on these subjects. What subjects are relatively less competitive that we can really own? What are problems that are not being solved in a dramatic way? Um, What themes are catchy? Um, So there might be songs, like there might be, we can analyze the hashtags that people are using to understand how they're engaging with and what's meaningful to them there. Um, And use that to really set our big picture big picture strategy for the channel as a whole, um, for how we want to talk to people there, as well as like the very specific nitty gritties of these are the topics that we want to go after because they're going to align with our brand over here and the market opportunity over here. And where those two things meet is where we want to be seen. And we now we can suddenly go have a really constructive conversation with our executive team, maybe about How do we do this in a meaningful way with real data to back it up
0: interesting and is there any sentiment analysis you know to see what's the emotional tone yeah uh, and how does that factor in as well
1: yes so that was definitely part of that analysis there are um tool sets around helping us uh, do that and pull that in and we have some proprietary things that we've built um, to help group things in meaningful ways and say, you know, based on the amount of the engagement and the tone of the engagement, are they excited? are they, you know, there's various words you can use or hashtags that we can use to help inform what that sentiment is. So not just do you watch it, but you know, are you hate watching it? or you, yeah. you know, because <laughs> you know, there's a there's obviously a difference. Yeah. So you can it, it's a lot that's a lot about analyzing the words. So whether that's the hashtag, the um, poster of the video, you know, put it around. Or it's also about the words that commenters will use. It's also about likes or mm-hmm. dislikes. Um, so we can factor in all of those measures to really understand um, how do users feel about that content that they're engaging with.
0: Oh, man. So this is great, because the nerdier folks who listen in, I can already anticipate the next question. because No way this isn't the case. But how has your practice changed with the advent of artificial intelligence
1: you know it's it's not that new interestingly because um you know chat gpt came along and, and that has really been dramatic for the industry as a whole. Um, But I think people all along, including us, have been using these machine learning scripts, these AI um, tool sets in order to, you know, I I think what people think about when they think of ChatGPT is they think about scaling content production, but they don't think about the optimization, the wins, the accessibility, Um, You know, now suddenly we can add alt text to things that's going to cover our butts legally, but also means we're helping real users access our content that weren't before. Or that, you know, now we can repurpose content more quickly and effectively. And that means we can put it on different channels so we can have a video version of our podcast and an audio version of our podcast so different people can consume it in the ways that they want to consume it. When and where that makes sense for their lives. So even the same user might enjoy the same podcast, sometimes audio on their morning walk, but then at work on video. Um, so some of those accessibility, quote unquote, wins mean that people can just use it in different ways. Um, and I think there's a lot of wins for that tool set that are, you know, obviously in terms of the the scaling the content, but also in terms of, How do we do a better job of doing the things we should have been doing maybe all along? Like answering these accessibility questions, like analyzing our data. So ChatGBT has those plugins that you can use to, you know, we can do that manually and figure out what these trends are. We can use our own machine learning scripts, but there's a variety of different ways to cluster data points together in meaningful ways that will pull different insights. So sometimes it's nice to have a human do it and this tool do it, but also go to ChatGBT and say, can you do it? Or, you know, there's a variety of other data analysis, um, AI tools that can look at data and maybe pull trends that you didn't see. And then, yeah, again, magic happens when all that comes together.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. It reminds me of when I launched my first website, like I, you know, took like an SEO course and I grew it to like. Uh, 700,000 unique visitors, and this many, many years ago. And it, it was, but the, the one thing that like, stood out to me was this one uh, email reply I'd gotten from somebody. And it, it said, wow, thank you for taking the time to write the content that you, the way that you did uh, because I'm blind and I use a screen reader and it just, mm-hmm. it reads so well. And uh, to your point of accessibility, I never forgot that. And I took that with me just to always, if I could, make the content accessible. And I love the point that you made about ChatGPT, artificial intelligence, everything, allowing us to be able to make content accessible for everyone, regardless. Um, On the thread of artificial intelligence, what about, does it help with, actually, I guess, better question, do you focus any on actual content production uh, or is it more optimization of existing content?
1: Uh, It's all of the above. So I think um, it can be used. So I'd say we're somewhat less likely to use ChatGPT specifically for any sort of first drafts. You know, there's other tool sets that, you know, unbiased, but I think are, are better suited to that. So sometimes it's first drafts. Sometimes it's, I'm really stuck and I need to think of something and I can generate something and with a tool and sometimes you hate it, right? And that suddenly gives you an idea of what you want to move forward yes, and create. Yes,
0: that to me, yes.
1: So it can get you unstuck or you can start rolling on this section, but you don't know how to do the introduction. Or you need to come up with like a new and creative way to share this on social media. So you need variations of the same copy. And you're just like, oh, my God, I've thought of 18 versions and I hate them all. What do I do? Give me a new angle. You know, it can really help unblock you, I think, in that way, whether you're using the outcome of that tool or not, because sometimes it comes up with some great little tidbits and maybe it just needs a little bit of tweaking or maybe you throw it out the door because it made you think of something new and innovative. Um, or it can get you 80% of the way there, and then you can do some manual human curation and fact-checking on top of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we use it in, you know, a lot of different ways. But the only way we don't use it is go and put in a prompt and get some stuff and then put that up on the website because that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. (laughs) Because you know who else can make that content with ChatGPT? Everybody else literally everyone else and then what's special about it
0: yep i 1000 agree okay my next question for you actually is a little bit of a trojan horse because i one want to learn more about you and then also i think it would be really instructive for the earlier stage consultants who are you know trying to build their independent consulting but it's also gonna be helpful for anyone that is looking for seo services and they want to be a better client Mm. that said when what are questions you wished people would ask when they're thinking about starting an seo optimization project or content strategy project Mm.
1: excellent question um and i think I think people need to do more work to determine um, what level of investment makes sense at what stage in the process, if any, frankly. And I think, you know, there's sort of a, there can be a, I want to check the box. I'm doing this channel. I'm doing this channel. We turn this off and I'm done. And there's less of a perspective of viewing it as an investment Um, with any channel that's going to have its trade-offs and its costs and its investment and the way, yeah, it's going to pay off for you in the long run. So you know also i think you can use this data that we've been talking about to really define where is your market today and that's a large part of um uh, how i think you can approach seo so to get concrete there about exactly what i mean um are where are people in your industry so whatever problem you solve for your specific product or service um what are people looking for are they looking for it are they problem aware? Are they solution aware? Do they know who you are? Who are the big players in the space? Um, You need to know where people are. And if people don't even know they have a problem yet, then you probably shouldn't be starting with SEO, right? Because you can't optimize for people to not be there. Um, That doesn't mean you can't start creating content and use that to drive a social media sharing strategy and drive demand. Or perhaps you should be out advertising or you know I, I like to use the example um of the first generation ipod it's not like people were out there looking to google to find a digital music management device yeah. right like that's not how that product came to be the ipod came to be because people you know it, it solved a problem they didn't know that they had so through advertising and other marketing means they solved that so using this data to understand if people are problem aware, then maybe you can make some moves. If there's solution aware and that's part of your solution, are you a new and innovative disruptive solution, you know, then you can deter- and then you can also determine things like competitiveness. So how good of a job is your competitor doing resolving these? Are they showing up for all the things? Um, can you how quickly can you overcome them? because maybe they're doing a, you know, they're ranking for all the things, but maybe they're crappy and spammy and you think you can outdo them overnight. and that is available in many industries and in many places. So understand your competitive set, understand what people are looking for and that I think can inform your strategy of if you do it, when you do it, what level of investment um, and like how big do you go when because you can also look to see so like we like to use LinkedIn and and to do internet research to understand like oh who's hiring okay they just they just closed another round. Oh, they're hiring a big, huge marketing team. They're doing something. They're investing big. And that means if we just go forward with our marketing plan, as we had stated, we're going to get left behind. Um, or they're doing nothing. This is our time to move. Um, you can really see what level of investment people are aiming for at any given time by doing that research. Um, and you know, one of my soapboxes is actually don't just use that data to say, I'm going to do what they're doing. Use it to inform what you want to do based on your own unique. Uh, yeah, the purpose of competitive research is not to just copy what people are doing. It's to differentiate,
0: frankly. Yes, yes. The purpose is not to be second in class. Like, yeah, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> exactly. Like, which, yeah, I, yeah. Something else you shared in there that I really loved uh, was the iPod example, because I think the slogan, if I'm remembering it correctly, was a thousand songs in your pocket. Mm-hmm. And that, for context, to me, was so powerful because at the time what you had a CD player that could maybe hold 20 songs Mm -hmm. and it didn't even really fit in your pocket (laughs) and so it was like this uh, two prong um, just advertising win there Uh, the next question that I have for you is if you could well the setup for the next question actually is actually from Tony Robbins because he talks about the quality of the questions that you ask in life you know, determine the quality of Mm -hmm. the results that you get. And I think that we spend a lot of time trying to find answers to the wrong questions in business and in life. And of course, when it comes to search and everything else. And so if you could wave a magic wand and banish people from asking whatever kinds of questions when it Mm -hmm. comes to search optimization and everything, what would those questions be questions to stop asking so we no longer waste our time
1: goodness um yeah i think it it comes from a lot of um they know what they know and they think that that's an approach so i think people make assumptions about the okay so how are you going to build links for me okay back up do you do you need links like uh And and how many do you need? And of what kind? And like, there's so many questions um, that can be loaded based on yeah how you came to the table. So if you've done, if you think SEO is link building, then you're going to have a very distinct perspective. If you think SEO is content creation, you're going to be focused on that. And so you start there. Um, Or you start with like assumptions about how, you know, I had someone come to me that was looking for help with disavow files. So disavow files are a way to be like, I don't want the the link that came to me because I think it's spammy and wrong and someone's being suspicious and linking to me and trying to get me in trouble for it, which is actually a really, really high bar. So she came with this assumption of her competitors were building malicious links against her and she needed to work actively all the time um, to make sure she was disavowing all these links. Um, but you could look at what links are being built, and like, there's a big difference between a malicious link and just a. I think Google can be like, no, not like that's just meaningless. Like, yeah, it's spam, but like I can tell it's spam, and I can tell you're not like all your competitors are getting these too. Like everyone's getting these. It's not about you. Um, it's the nature of the web. Sometimes you're going to get spammy links, but if you come with the fear, you're going to be saying, you know, it's it's almost the lack of questions. It's the, I need you to go do SEO for me, or I need you to go build links for me, or I need you to go create a bunch of blog posts that are 500 words a piece. Or they ask, like, how long should my blog posts be? (laughs) Like, it varies. (laughs) What is your industry norm? What's your content? What's your subject matter? How deep does it need to go? What's the seniority of the audience you're going to speak to? Because they're going to have a different willingness to read a different length. Um, So... We actually spend a lot of time trying to just walk back and ask the questions and ask the questions and ask the why and the why and the why and the why again um, to say, why do you think that's necessary?
0: I love this uh, because it really pauses, you know, a request for implementation or tactics to then say, okay, great, but what's the strategy and what's the strategic intent and is it even going to get you the results you want? And is it even yeah. necessary in the first place, which I think it is amazing. It's a trait that I've seen with every single high integrity service provider that I've ever seen or worked with, which is, hey, if you don't need this, I'm not going to do it. And I don't want your money <laughs> for something that's not going to be relevant. Uh, I really like that. And the meta lesson out of that, that I'm hearing is we can become better clients by first trying to assess what the strategic intent is behind the ask, because if you're going to go and work with someone yeah. that is a strategic, and, you know, that provides strategy as well as the implementation, we need to answer that question. And then, if somebody wants to become a better consultant as well, get great at asking those strategic questions. Get a potential client to justify why okay. it is if they
1: know what they want, if they know what they're aiming for, and if they can articulate that. What what are you attempting to accomplish, not go do X? Mm
0: -hmm. Because, you know, like go to Fiverr or something, like if you just need, you know, and that's no like, you know, like slice against someone on Fiverr that's going to be able to implement. If
1: you're an expert and you don't want to execute, yes,
0: yeah, (laughs) go hire the
1: person to do the job and you could get that cheaper than working with me. You're hiring me because I can help guide you in terms of what should be done, you know, because you're not the expert. And I'm your expert for you.
0: I have another question, which was actually suggested by you, which is around finding share of voice. What is that? Why does it matter?
1: Mm. So we measure this, um, I'd say, two primary ways. So it depends on whether you're talking about more of that like search data or your social engagement, Mm. behavioral data. Um, And it's just two different places to kind of measure it. Um, But because and it, it'll vary, like a brand will have a different share of voice in terms of their participation in any channel, um, but also overall across channels. So um, how we go about measuring that is really defining what are all the things that people are looking for in your industry across the, you know, your competitive set. Um, and then how much of that, do you have visibility for? Are you participating? Are you part of that conversation? Are you on page one in Google? Are you in position one for Google for more more of these terms versus your competitors? Are people talking about your brand in association with this subject matter when they're on YouTube? Um, So what is the size of the industry? Because we can define your digital TAM wherever it is. Is it on Google? Is it on TikTok? How often are people looking for grilling you know whatever the subject matter is um and then how often do you show up for that
0: ecosystem
1: relative to competitors and what's your slice of the pie
0: Uh, okay all right so we figured out our share of voice Mm -hmm. and now we might need to start considering whether or not you know the folks who are searching are problem aware versus solution aware could you just expand on that and mm-hmm. why that matters as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, why that matters is is really identifying around your strategy of what do you do and when, um, because you need to help people along that funnel, hopefully, if you're going to move business results. So... and and you have to meet them where they are is a big part of what SEO is. This isn't advertising. We're not telling people how to feel. People are typically looking for things and we're providing that to them so that we're in the right place at the right time. Um, So it is a lot about thinking about intent. So And there are certain parts of keywords that sometimes we can classify, generally speaking, like if you're looking how to do something, um or what to do about um you know you might be more likely to be problem aware so there can be ways we can just use patterns in terms of people's language in how they look for things um you know if they're looking for your brand term um and you know it's more of a navigation query maybe you're a big brand and you have a variety of products and they're looking for a specific one that's a much more what we call a navigational query they already know who you are they already know what they want they are product aware Um, And they are digging into this versus are they looking for sheets, Um, you know, or are they looking for bed sheets um, in a specific color or a specific thread count or, you know, that have deep pockets, for example, on your bed. Like, not just are you looking for sheets, but you're looking for sheets that have deep pockets because you have a taller mattress. um, So you're aware of a problem. You're seeking a specific solution that you already have identified exists. So are you looking for sheets that are for tall beds or are you looking for deep pocket sheets? So you already have the language and the terminology tells me a lot about where you are in a customer funnel. Mm -hmm. And we can use the language and the ways, um, you know, the key things that people connect those, like the um, Mm how-tos, to... You know, frankly, machine learning models can help us group those things based on the similarity of those terms. And then we can do some cleanups. Um, Like, do you have a brand name associated with it? So you're deeper in the funnel. Um, Does it say how to? Does it say, um, I don't know, buy? Does it say coupon? Because you're already ready to buy and you're you're searching for the way to do this, right? So we can use those to help group things and then to count across the keyword set in each of those buckets where people are. Um, And that's also P.S. A funny one to measure, a fun one rather to measure over time, because hopefully you are growing that. So it's it's not a static measure; it's something to look at periodically to say, "Hey, we've grown awareness of our product and our solution, and also we're doing a great job on advertising because more people are looking for how to solve this um, because we've shown them some solutions along the way, and suddenly they're like, "Hey, I do have that problem. I do want." my ice cream to be softer or, you know, whatever it is that your problem, your, your product resolves.
0: That is really cool. I hadn't considered that before, but that's that's such a fantastic uh, use case uh, for that, the overtime. And this is tangential. We've been talking a bit about, you know, it seems like one of the underlying assumptions that we've had throughout this conversation is around the input method for data being typed. But what about voice? Is mm-hmm. that data available at all? And is that part of, you know, just, I don't know, is it available, period, for analysis?
1: Uh, varies by platform, but in, in, in large cases, yes. Um, data, Google, for example, does make um, voice search queries available to you. Um, so we can figure out, and, and specifically, like, what is a voice search versus what is another form of a search hmm. um, and you can also um, typically speaking get that data um, about how traffic was driven to your site so not just like what are people looking for but how are you performing against that
0: my my just uh, armchair uh, scientist uh, curiosity brain is wondering about if when people search by voice if it's going to be more awareness Type search terms and like consideration Mm -hmm. you know like how far down in the buyer's journey are they typically if we search by voice versus text input are you aware of any
1: um some trends i've seen um you know i think people are looking often and i'm thinking of like an alexa use case like it's very specific and it's put on my music or you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's I'm sitting around and we're having a debate about the right answer to this question and this person's very convinced they're right and so is this person and what's the answer? Um, So it it can, it's a (laughs) lot of, specifically both ends of the spectrums and a little bit less so in the middle.
0: Uh, Okay, all right, so that checks out. What would you say is, I know this this might be a bit of a, well, I'll just ask the question, If you had to say what the number one use case is for search data now versus, say, maybe a a couple years ago, you know, um, has it changed any?
1: Great question. I have not thought about this. Um, I I do think search behavior is changing. Uh, I think the youths, youth, they're coming up. They have different patterns. (laughs) Um, I think there are a variety of threats to, um, you know, if you think about searches Google, um, which is kind of a classic way to do it for a lot of people in this profession, then yeah, it's changing dramatically because people are doing those behaviors um, in a lot of different other places sometimes. So I think we have heard in the last year or two a lot in the media about the threat that TikTok poses to Google, right? And that's not just because people are going to TikTok and searching for a Lebanese restaurant near them, because that's not typically how it works. Um, It's more typical for that to be volunteered to them. So if they look up a city, maybe they're vacationing to, maybe they're living in, maybe they're about to move to, you know, maybe they're consuming content about restaurants. And then it's more of a, you know, a browsing activity, more of a discovery um, or an exploration a little bit more advertising focused versus like I'm looking for restaurants near me that are Lebanese um I think that behavior does still happen but I think they might do do you have to search if you already have a recommendation from a friend that you trust so sometimes you get in front of that process by answering that question or you develop trust so people you know Google has been struggling over the last few years to, to provide, I think, great search results. Um, do, do a variety of different um, circumstances, including spammers, um, that make it maybe sometimes harder and sometimes easier to show great results. So maybe you trust this influencer on TikTok and they have great tastes and they always make these recipes and you've made these recipes and they love. So when they make a restaurant recommendation, you're going there because you already trust them specifically or maybe you're looking for a product and then they're going to go to Etsy to look for that before you went to Google. Yeah. So it's not just about TikTok, it's about Etsy, it's about Amazon. So Amazon is the, you know, arguably the largest place you go to look to search for a product yeah. in that you might not go to Google to look for that general product anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, much less the Walmarts of the world or the Targets. Um, so all of these things whether it's Product-specific searches, whether it's, um, you know, getting in front of this behavioral action like TikTok, like then we got antitrust suits. So Google's getting it for a variety of directions that makes it it complicated. But I, I also wouldn't undervalue just the way the youth search today is changing, and they're not as tied to Google, and they haven't grown up with the experience of Google being excellent and dramatically better than everybody else. So they might be more willing to use a DuckDuckGo because they care about privacy. They might use Bing, you know, I think there's just less of a brand um, affinity or like a default to Google.
0: I hadn't considered that perspective and you, it, it checks out that you're totally right. And to that end, for those who are in the world of search and trying to understand what people are searching for, it we've spoken a lot about the past, the present, but now we're bridging to the future and just what future behavior might look like and where data sources might then be. And if those data sources are then even accessible, one particular situation I'm thinking of right now is like, say, okay, Microsoft Copilot. You know, it's living alongside Bing, it's living inside Microsoft Edge browser. Is that, are those queries available now and will they be available in the future? A lot of queries may be going into ChatGPT, you know, um, is that something that's even accessible and how does that impact the future of search?
1: Uh, that's not accessible today per se. Um, you know the companies would need to expose that data and i think right now we're at a stage where they are jealously guarding that for themselves and for their own learning because they don't want to share that data um which i think probably makes sense for their business at this stage um you know i'm not going to speak to like what's right for the world but in terms yeah. of like yes chat GPT wants to keep their knowledge to improve their own systems right and they can also get certain interesting information so i'm thinking of like the samsung debacle of like whoops you have my proprietary source code because i was asking you questions about it and now mm-hmm. now bing microsoft owns that because they own chat um so things can get complicated in that realm but no they're not exposing that data will they in the future mm-hmm. um I think once that gets more commoditized, that might be very possible, and or once they're to the state, you know, once people have more brand affinity and are tied to specific tools. Because right now, Hmm. you know, I can't breathe without another new AI tool coming out, (laughs) like it's left and right, and we don't know which ones will survive, right? And so until we have a more mature industry, um, and they're starting to optimize and saying, oh hey, there's new revenue stream. P.S. we could do this if we expose this data um, and then people will want to use us more and then we'll have these people that want to improve it. So they'll push people to using us. It creates an ecosystem of using them. like SEO as a field has fascinatingly like I think helped Google grow because then the focus has been about Google and it
0: it is a self-perpetuating machine. Absolutely.
1: Um, so probably. There's no short answer.
0: It's 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 great in that it's expanding our discussion from not just uh, what's coming up in the future, but it's now become a reflection on the state of just the internet um, from my perspective, because it's almost like when the internet was founded, like the whole spirit, the mission, the goal was to uh, democratize accessibility to data. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you put something up on the web and anybody could find it, you'd search for anything, mm-hmm. everything gets indexed, and now- Small guys could it,
1: succeed. Zappos came out of nowhere, you yep. know? more.
0: exactly it's like now it's going back into silo mode like oh we want to keep our data sets to ourselves because we have this whole other business model here and it's all about machine learning and (laughs) everything like that
1: Uh, reddit's a great example they wanted to mm. start charging for access to their their api um so that businesses could get information from them or could build the tool set that you could use reddit as a third-party app um
0: They're commoditizing. What what happened? Um, Did they do it?
1: Um, I think it's still in discussions or or they're like thresholding, right? Like if you, I I think they're more focused on the audience of, are you going to use the dedicated Reddit app to consume Reddit content or are you going to use a third party app? And they're charging more for those people. Mm -hmm. But I think that is a slippery slope. It's maybe the wrong analogy, but like there's there's like, oh, oh, other people will want this data. So, you know, I'm biased, but I do think that this industry for this digital data is a multibillion dollar industry. And I think companies will eventually, yeah, get smart to the fact that like, oh, that means we can charge you for it. Oh, that means we can take our cut. So that's how our society works. Of course, of course, they're going to start charging for that. <laughs> And they're going to start jacking up the rates. It's
0: good to know. Yay, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> one, uh, one thing I, I would like to ask, and one, I want to say that you've been very generous uh, with just everything that you've shared. I've learned a lot personally. I know anyone listening in has as well. And I have like just like two more questions I want to ask. Uh, it's what is it? You're now at what? 13-year co-founder business partnership anniversary what what's the number i think i just saw it on linkedin
1: oh that's my uh yeah my partner um we have been together for 13 years he's a quiet right. co-founder that does not
0: participate with green now, <laughs> if the the reason was just like i like i want to confirm like the timeline because the question is if you could go back in time mm-hmm. to give yourself advice to back then, mm-hmm. knowing everything you know now, yeah. what would you tell
1: yourself? <sighs> so much. <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down to just one. Because I made some classic mistakes and learned things the hard way, beating my head against the wall a lot, unfortunately. Oh, do um But, you know, I'm grateful I have learned it. I wish I could tell myself to just calm down and breathe because it's going to happen. And like the stress you're creating for yourself and the anxiety you're creating for yourself is actually making things worse. So maybe just stop that. Um, And and also just to kind of enjoy the process and be less whiny about it or less like, you know, because we've all been young and dumb and impatient and like, I expect things now and why don't I get this raise or get this promotion or get this thing that I want? And I, you know, not seeing what is necessary in order to do that. Um, I think a more calm, concerted, strategic approach would have helped my process Um, versus, yeah. But you you don't know what you don't know. So, I mean, it is what it is.
0: This is true. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Tori (laughs) Gray said, chill out, be cool. Like, that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just read it'll come together <laughs> that's fantastic where can we find out more about you
1: uh and you can google gray.co uh you can find us on all the obvious social media channels and our website the Company. Um, we also have a, a video podcast of our own called opinionated seo opinions we are on youtube and all the major streaming podcast places so check us out and thank you so much for having me it's been a
0: blast Hey, thanks for checking out the show. If you liked it, go ahead and hit the like button and also subscribe so you don't miss another one. It also tells us which ones that you like the most so that we can then do more interviews like that. If you want to go from idea to implementation, though, especially if you're wanting to productize your expertise so that you can scale your impact on your clients, and of course, grow your business, then join our email list. There, we're going to talk about how modern consultants can productize their expertise so that they can have a greater impact on the world around them and live life on their terms. If that's up your alley, I hope to see you on your other side. Talk soon.